morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I don't know about you, but what an incredibly beautiful day it is. Yesterday was a wonderful, beautiful day. Lori and I did some yard work in our, our backyard, actually in the front yard as well. And uh, we drove by, was driving, going somewhere, and we drove down Franklin where they have a, a dumping area. And you could not believe the line of people that were lined up there getting rid of their spring um, work in their backyards and front yards. But anyway, just a beautiful day. And today, I think it's supposed to be like 66 degrees. So that's an incredibly beautiful day as, as well. And what a great day it is to be able to spend moments worshiping God together with one another and hearing Scripture read and, and to spend some moments of singing songs and praise of God and gathering around the Lord's table and being reminded of that so important date to each and every one. Uh, of us. Before I get going this morning, let me just uh, share with you that beginning in our next Wednesday quarter, I'm going to be teaching a class on the book of Revelation. You notice it's called Unlocking Revelation because it's one of those books that's kind of hard to get your arms all the way around. I think we've probably made it more difficult than what it really is, but so I'm going to be sharing that class with you, and so it's just something for you to be thinking about as we're thinking about that second quarter on uh, Wednesday evenings. Let me also remind you that on April the 4th, it will be a single service that we're going to be having where we're going to all be together with one another, and I can't hardly wait for that to uh, be able to join our voices together in, in, in a larger number. Not that this is not already uh, a great, but certainly be praying for that and that it will continue to decline in this COVID situation and that we'll start being getting back to more, as was mentioned to us, more normalish and uh, be able to be together with one another. So is it me or does it seem as though life seems to be just going by so fast? That there's just so many things happening. I know to some degree during this pandemic time that it seems that things have slowed down, but when you look at all the various things happening in society or happening globally, there's so many things that are happening rapidly around us. There's just the speed that is going on, especially if you were to talk about just miles per hour. Back in the 1800s and prior to that, the fastest mode of transportation, of course, was the horse. The horse could run up to 20 miles an hour, but it couldn't do it in a sustained motion. It could go for some wind sprints, but most of the time when people were traveling across land, they weren't sprinting across the land. They were, you know, they were loping or probably just walking across. And so you had that mode of, of transportation. And then came along the locomotive. And the locomotive in the mid-1800s, it had a sustained miles per hour of 15 to 20 miles per hour that it could sustain. And that was it. But as you move along throughout that century and as you get close to the end of the, the, uh, the 1800s, well, trains just got faster. They started to run up to 65 miles per hour. And some could even reach up to 100 miles per hour, though very seldom did they ever reach those limits or drive at that kind of a sustained speed. But nevertheless, they were there. If you move from that point in, in history and move all the way to 2021, then you have the bullet train in Megalev, uh, called the Meglev in Japan, and that bullet train can go up to 375 miles an hour. And if you were to go into Europe, I've never been on that train, but I've been on those fast trains in Europe, and I'm here to tell you, those things are smooth, and they go really, really fast. I think I was on one that went over 100 miles an hour uh, in, in Paris, and so you had those things that were happening there. And then, of course, the invention of the automobile. In 1908, the Model T had a 20-horsepower engine and could have a sustained miles per hour of 40 to 45 miles per hour. That was pretty incredible. 
Today, you can buy, as a consumer, you can buy this card that you see on your right and to my left, a 2021 SSC uh, Tutuera that can go 331 miles an hour. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's a fast car, and you can buy it if you have enough money. The problem with that is, is most would say, well, you, listen, you live in Idaho. And in Idaho, the fastest you can go is 80 miles an hour, Richard. Well, yeah, but if you own that car, you can get to 80 miles an hour really, really fast. And so you have the automobile that's going so fast. And then there's air transportation. The speed of passenger jets in 1952 was uh, 375 miles an hour, which we have trains that go that fast, as well as cars that can go that fast. Back in 52, uh, you had jetliners going that fast. In 2021, you have them going almost twice that speed, 575 to 771 miles per hour. Depending on at, at what altitude they are, the higher the altitude, the faster the plane can go. And that's why a lot of the jetliners fly between 30 and 41,000 feet because where there's thinner air, the plane goes much uh, faster. So you, that, you have that happening. And then you have spacecraft. Well, that's the SR-71, by the way, which is a military aircraft that goes like 3.3, uh, Mach 3.3, which is 2,193, almost 2,200 miles per hour. And they say that that really is not true. It goes much faster than that, but that's all the military will release. And, and they've mothballed that airplane, at least we think they have. And then you have spacecrafts. The Parker Solar Probe was launched in August of 2018. To go to the sun, it was aimed at the sun in order that it might do some, some testing and send back different kinds of things about the surface of the sun or what happens when you get closer to the surface of the, the sun. And they launched it, and it goes 430,000 miles per hour. If you're wondering in perspective how fast that really is, well, that's if you were to leave Japan and go to Washington, D.C. at that miles per hour, you could do it in, in a minute. If you were to take that same spacecraft and put some men on it, people on it, and shoot it off to Mars, it would get there in nine months. So you're talking about some fast things, but that's all miles per hour. And most of us are, you know, when we think about miles per hour, we mostly think about our cars, don't we? But what about the breakneck speed of life? Where life goes by like a blink of an eye in a 24-hour period leaving us exhausted, leaving us drained. We have schedules and appointments and, and, and meetings that we have to be all about in a 24-hour day, and it leaves us feel sometimes with, with being exhausted, maybe despair, maybe feeling anxious. Maybe it causes us to start complaining about all kinds of things around us, from the government to the school system to the environment uh, uh, to our, our mates, our children, our parents. Maybe we complain about church members. Maybe we complain about, you know, church leaders. We find ourselves so rapidly moving through life that, you know, we just find ourselves, like I say, just exhausted and frustrated and anxious about just life in, in general. And so maybe what we need to do is to slow down and reset. And when I think about slowing down and resetting, I can't think of a better book in the Bible that talks about reset, that doesn't use that word there, than the book of Philippians. The letter to the Philippians, if you'll open your Bibles to that section of Scripture, is an incredible book. 
in my estimations, when I look at Philippians, Philippians is one of the most unique uh, letters or books in the Bible. And the reason why it's like that is because of the theme. Now, I know that the book of Philippians has a number of themes in it, probably two major themes, but most biblical scholars, when they talk about the book of Philippians, they say that, you know, the, the book of Philippians is unique in that it is an epistle of joy. And the reason why they call it an epistle of joy is because the word joy or rejoice is used like 16 uh, times in that epistle, which tells us that that's a pretty important thing. And the amazing thing about the book of Philippians is the fact that it's written in the midst of Paul being in prison. And he's in prison and he's writing about joy. He's in a Roman prison. He's not in the dank, dark maritime prison, but he is in house arrest, and he's hooked to a Roman soldier, chained to a Roman soldier. He can't go where he wants. He can't do as he wants. He has some people who can come and visit him. But while he's doing this, he is writing this letter, and, and as he writes this letter from being incarcerated, he talks about his circumstance, and he talks about a joy that is within him. That's, in other words, in this letter's four chapters, he continually exhorts us to praise God no matter how dark the situation might be. And it's not just the book of Philippians that is like this. A lot of Paul's letters are from the midst of a prison. A lot of Paul's letters have to do with the things that are going on in his life. And even uh, Luke records the things that are going on in Paul's life. And yet he's able to sustain this spirit of joy, and I think a lot of that comes about because of his view of how he praises God in, in his life. So he hammers home this idea of rejoicing. Well, why is that important to us? Well, have you found yourself in circumstances of late in this season of, of time, which is different for all of us than any other time in our history, I'm talking about our present history that we are living in, making history, where people really are anxious about things, where people do feel despair. When people have some doubts, there's some negativity that is, is there, some anxiousness that rises up with, within us because we look at what's going on around us from the, the global pandemic to social pandemic to... You know, to the social unrest in the streets that is starting to ramp up once again racial tensions that are are there there's so many things that are going on around us that causes us to uh, be less than joyful or less at at peace and yet paul keeps hammering home this idea of joy or rejoicing so paul says in rome in in, in philippians 1 and verse 18 he says i will rejoice no matter what my circumstances is. i know i'm in prison but i will rejoice I'll rejoice and share my joy with you all. And I urge you to rejoice in the same way. Finally, brethren, he says, rejoice in, in the Lord. And as he ends the fourth chapter, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say, rejoice that your forbearing spirit be made known unto all men that the Lord is near. Now, prior to him saying that, he's talking about some disruption that is going on in the church between the houses of Iodia and Syntyche. But he then moves to that of joy. So he says there are circumstances that are going on in life where joy is a real possibility. In fact, I would say that Paul always looks for the hidden blessings in, 
in trials. He never becomes negative about what's going on in, in his life. And so he hammers home over and over and over again in this short four-chapter epistle, this idea of rejoicing. In actuality, the word rejoice means to rejoice. Or reset, reset how we look at the circumstances of life where we put our dependency in God and we lift up God and we praise him in our lives. Like the idea of resetting a computer that goes out of whack or anything that goes out of, of whack, you have that reset button where it restores, where it refreshes, where it reboots that thing so it goes back to normality and functions in the way that it ought to to, to function and I would say to you that that's probably what we need is to reset and look at the circumstances that surround us and move towards that of joy in our lives I'm talking about praising God and so this morning I'm going to kind of mix two words together with us that I hope does not confuse you and that is one joy or rejoicing into that of praise praise leads to this idea of rejoicing Praise has the potential, the ability to shatter despair. It has the potential to, to shatter negativity. It has the potential to shatter uh, doubt. It has the potential to shatter all anxiety and bring us joy in our lives. And so I, that's why I chose the book of Philippians because it is a, big, a book of rejoying or resetting our joy. And it happens because we're able to give praise to God and that's not anything new for those of you who are students of the scripture and if you were just to to type in the word praise and say in a one of your your Bible apps you would find that this word is used over and over and over again certainly throughout the Psalter it is it is there where this attitude of praising God is is prominent well maybe it should be prominent in our lives so as Paul is writing this book of Philippians and with this theme of rejoicing, my thoughts are as, as he's penning this book here, he's probably reflecting back on that first visit to Philippi over in Acts, the 16th chapter. You recall that chapter there. He arrives in, in Philippi, and as he arrives there, he goes to the synagogue. Eventually, he'll go down to the uh, riverside, and there he'll meet Lydia and her household. Remember, Lydia was a fairly rich woman, a seller of purple from Thyatira. And he shares with her the gospel, and it says that her and her whole household were baptized into, into Christ. Later on, he's going to, Paul, because of his message between he and Silas, they're going to kind of quite a ruckus. And there are going to be those who are going to become very upset with the message that he is preaching. And a riot occurs of which Paul and Silas are going to be arrested. And as they are arrested, by the magistrates, they're going to be beaten. I mean, harshly beaten. And then they're going to be thrown into a jail cell. And they're going to be placed in this jail cell, beaten, and they're going to have their feet placed in stocks so they can't move about. And back in those days, they didn't have fluorescent lights. And they didn't have light bulbs. And I doubt that they would waste any candles on a bunch of prisoners so they're back in a dark place, in a dark cell treated as criminals, though they are not criminals, beaten, and they're not criminals. There's a lot of things happening to them that is so negative. But in the midst of that, we learn from verse 11 that they begin to pray, and they begin to sing hymns. 
And by doing that, they are praising God, and it shatters their fear, their despair, their negativity, doubt, or anxiousness, or anything that might emotionally be you know, erupting within them. It is removed because they focus in upon God, and they offer up their praise to God, and it shatters some things. So with that in mind, do you ever feel bound by your circumstances? I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you. I, I do. There's times when I feel very bound up by the world that is around me and find myself fearful. I find myself being anxious, sometimes even to the point of despair. I think, I mean, that's just me. And my guess is that we're probably all like that, at least to some degree. It may not be all those four things added together, but I can guarantee that one or two of them probably are part of our lives. And because we're humans, and so how can we not be? Paul looked around his world around him, and he sees a lot of ungodliness. He sees a lot of evil. He sees a government that is very polytheistic, which means they're really not, they're, they don't have no allegiance to any god, much less the god of heaven. That's the life Paul is living in as he tries to share the gospel. He's being persecuted. He's being chased and harried from town to town as he goes on his mission journey. And yet there's this joy that is there in his life. Well, I think that sometimes maybe it's not to the same degree of Paul, but you know what? My problems are my problems and my circumstances are my circumstances. And there are times when I do feel bound by my circumstances. And yet praise in the midst of a prison cell reset Paul and Silas's uh, joy. His words were, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Joy. That's what he's talking about. There's a fellow by the name of Merlin Carruthers. He was an army chaplain back in the 70s. He wrote a book called Prison to Praise. Uh, that book sold like 17 million copies. It was, it was translated into 53 different languages. Um, it's a book that, that encourages his readers to constantly be giving thanks and praise to God no matter what circumstance you are in. It's a principle that he says that, that as Christians we should live by. That we give thanks to everything, that's biblical. That we're to praise God in everything, that's biblical. And he encourages his readers to do that. And so the book really is just a compilation of, of one story after another of people who are going through some very hard circumstances who give thanks and praise and practice that principle in their lives. And so what Carruthers said back, what, 50 years ago, I believe is still relevant today. Listen to his, what he said there. This is a quote from his book. He says, the very act of praise releases the power of God into the set of our circumstances and enables God to change them. Miracles, power, and victory will be a part of what God does in our lives when we learn to rejoice in all things. Call it a mindset, call it positive thinking. Uh, Paul would call it faith. And Carruthers would call it a faith thing. So where did Carruthers get this, this profound where do you get these profound thoughts from? Well, he just got them from Paul. 
Paul's life was an example of how praise releases power of God in every circumstance of our lives and moves us to rejoice in, in all things. And that's why Paul could talk about in every single chapter the idea of having joy or rejoicing. That's why he can end his book almost by saying rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So praise shatters things. And the first thing that I would submit to you that it shatters is despair. Um, notice what Paul says in Philippians 1, verses 18 and 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that my imprisonment will turn out for the deliverance through your prayers and through provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I will rejoice. I don't know when I'm going to get out of this situation, but I'm, but I'm not despair about it i know that something good is going to come about because i'm going to keep my faith in the one whom i know can take care of of all of all things and so we see him lifting his praise up to god in all situations or in all uh, circumstance praise in other words will lift you above your circumstances so that you can see the sun again because sometimes in our lives, there are circumstances that make us feel as though the clouds are all around us. So go back now to the prison in Philippi. And Paul and Silas are in prison there. Are they despairing? Well, they have every right to, to despair. I mean, he's doing the Lord's will. They're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And it ends up in them being beaten. And not just beaten, but thrown into prison. And not just thrown into a, a prison or a jail cell, but having their feet in, in stocks. But there's no despair that is there because they lift up their voice and sing and, and pray. They're praising God. There was a poem that was written by a Confederate soldier that was found that was a, a, an interesting, uh, the things that he said. Here's, what it, here's how it reads. I asked, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weaknesses that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I was given, uh, I, I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for, almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. He knew where to look up. He knew what to do in his circumstances and if you know anything about the Civil War and what the Civil War was looking like near the end and what the Confederate soldier was going through and even the Union soldiers were going through, even this guy was able to look above his circumstances and not despair because he had placed his trust in, in God. Secondly, praise shatters negativity. Again, go back to the prison cell of Paul and, and Silas. They could have easily did a lot of trash talking, right? I mean, they'd had a lot of bad things happen to them. They could have got easily really negative and, and began to complain about all the things that are going on around them, and yet that's not where they, they went. 
I saw this as I was working on the lesson, and it says, you can't litter negativity everywhere and then wonder why you've got a trashy life. I mean, if you trash talk about your circumstances and become, and you allow those things to make you negative about life, well, if you practice negativity, you're going to be a negative person and you'll make negative those who are around you. But look at Paul's words in Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And so I've learned that, you know, grumbling short circuits faith, but joy revives it. And so praise has a way of shattering the negativity that can so easily sometimes come our, our way. So I got to thinking about James, the first chapter, where, where James, the Lord's brother, says, you know, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be complete, mature, lacking in nothing. So what James says is that sometimes we look at trials or difficult, challenging circumstances around us, and, and we allow those things to push us into negativity, where James says maybe it shouldn't. Maybe we need to relook at how we look at the circumstances of, of life and do what Paul did. Because Paul seemed to see hidden blessings in, in every trial to the point that he thanked God for in the, being in the midst of shipwrecks or beatings or riots or, or death threats or starvation. Paul was able to move towards that of rejoice, and that's why you could say rejoice in, in the Lord. So there's a lot of things that happen to us. Sometimes we are where we are because of our own choices. And God has allowed it because he wants us to learn from those circumstances. Sometimes the trials are outside of ourselves, but they are given in order to, to train us, in order to produce more endurance and to become more spiritually mature. Challenges are not always bad. In fact, you don't know where your faith is unless it's challenged. And you don't know where your faith is unless you go through some difficult obstacles and hurdles in life. That's how you find out where your faith is. You're able to get a kind of a temperature check of where you are. So trials cause us to become more durable, and they mature us. When I was in high school, played football, and we had a coach. Uh, his name was Steve Breckler. Um, coach Breckler, he was, played for the Dallas Cowboys. He must have thought we were the Dallas Cowboys because he ran us like he thought we were. But, he, but his theory was this. His theory was that the team that was the best in shape in the fourth quarter is the team that will dominate. That was his theory. And so he ran us to death. He ran us up bleachers. He did us do grid lines. He had us do 440 sprints, full pads, all those things. He just ran us and ran us and ran us. At the beginning of the year when they did two-a-days, and back in those days, they didn't allow you any kind of water or anything. You just had to run with full gear on. These two-a-days, well, he would thin out the ranks, and usually we'd lose like a third of the ball players that came out for the team simply because the, he just ran us to death. And guys said, I am not, that's not what I thought football was, and they just quit. And even all through the rest of the year, he ran us all through practice. He ran us at the beginning and at the end after he went through plays and different kinds of offensive and defensive kinds of, of exercises. He ran us at the end. I used to think to myself, I wish when he said down and back, 
that we would go down and back, and he's standing there, and we'd just keep going right past him and on into the locker room. None of us had the courage to do that, and I certainly wasn't going to lead that uprising. But he ran us. And, but what we learned was is that we did really well in the fourth quarter because we, when other teams were gassed and sucking air, we were not. Now, it had helped if we'd had maybe a better quarterback or better running backs or better ends and things like that. But one thing we were, if we were anything as a ball team, is we had lots of endurance. And I think that's what God does. And so he gives us endurance through, through trials. But negativity can take away those blessings. And so praising a guy can shatter several things. It can, it can shatter despair, but it can also shatter negativity. Here's the third thing it can shatter. It can shatter doubt. Paul had no doubts who he was. He had no doubts who he was as an apostle. Maybe they were singing praise uh, uh, songs. Maybe they were praying uh, because they were wanting to remove any doubt from their lives. But one thing was for sure, those things that could have bound them in that jail cell uh, caused them to move beyond that to the point that they could be joyful in all things. In fact, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's tons of applications uh, for that that you can apply. I remember one time I was having a root canal done on my tooth, and I remember laying there praying, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Had little effect on that dentist. But I was trying to get myself to the point where, you know, I could just kind of be there. I also did the Lord's Prayer, or the Psalm 23 as well, and tried to quote down through that. But doubt can remove that. And so doubt can be renewed by praising God. Praising God. When you praise, uh, you uh, go into the phone booth looking like Clark Kent, and you come out looking like Superman. Because God strengthens us so that we can endure so many uh, things that might come our our way. I was reading, uh, again, as I was preparing uh, for this lesson here, and, and I read the story about this guy, his son was bit by a rattlesnake. And so he calls the preacher. Uh, his name is Mr. Jones, and he calls the hospital. Friendly says, preacher, uh, you got to come quickly. My son John has just bit by, been bit by a rattlesnake and is at the point of death. Well, of course, the preacher, he goes right over to the hospital, and as he walks in, the guy says to him, he says, please, uh, preacher, please uh, pray for my son. I've promised God or the Lord that if my son recovers, I will come back to church and I will bring my family and I will again start living for the Lord. And so the preacher, he, he leads a prayer. Here was his, his prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you now on behalf of Mr. Jones' son. We pray that he might recover from this snake bite. We want to praise your name for sending this rattlesnake to bite John. This is one rattlesnake that has done what I or the church has not been able to do in the life of Mr. Jones now on for five years. During all this time, he has not been interested in any spiritual well-being or the spiritual well-being of his family. And this one rattlesnake has turned his mind back to you. Lord, could it be what we need in the lives of many of our other church members are bigger and better rattlesnakes? So I want you to think about this, okay? Is it possible that COVID is our rattlesnake? That it's caused us to stop and to pause and to think about what really is important. To cause us to stop and think about the script that we're writing in our lives. What script are we living like? What is our purpose in life? What are our priorities in, in life? 
What about our profile? What about our foundation? What about our fashion? What about all those things that we've been talking about over the last couple of months that we need to reset? Maybe COVID has had its purpose. I'm not, I'm not you know, making anything small about the fact that so many people have lost their lives. That's, that's tragic. Or that so many people have been so ill. That's tragic too. But when you talk about a woke society, if anything has woke us up, Maybe it's this COVID that has done that and caused us to reset things, kind of like hitting a reset button. Lastly, praise shatters anxiety. Paul, you know, in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, remember he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says that your forbearing spirit be made known unto all men that the Lord is near. And then he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all comprehension, all understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. So Paul said that when we hit the rejoice button and replace worry with a joy-filled prayer, he says the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will flood into our lives. So how did Paul get there? Well, I would submit to you that he got there by surrendering. Be anxious for nothing. That means the things that we are despairing about, the things that we are anxious about, the things that we are doubtful about, the things that we feel negative about. Paul says, I'm going to surrender that all to God. God's got big shoulders. He can handle this. I'm going to give this to, to God. So surrendering everything over to God is the key to shattering anxiety and experience and a peace in the midst of struggle and challenge. So if you're anxious about things, maybe it's time that you surrender. Instead of trying to handle everything yourself, is give those things to God. Now, look, okay, I know that that's a lot easier to say than to do. At least it is for me. I know that's biblical. I know that's principled. And maybe that's why I think about it a lot. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Not be anxious for some things. Not be anxious for a few things. Be anxious for nothing. Our problem is we get anxious about a lot of things. And we need to let those things go. So let me ask you, how, how well are you doing at surrendering? As a congregation, would you say that we as a congregation have surrendered all to King Jesus? Honestly, personally speaking, and to you personally as an individual, would you say that you have surrendered all to King Jesus? Almost all of us, we know this song here. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Really? Really? Have you surrendered all? Well, you know, I've surrendered. Well, how about this? What do you suppose would happen if instead of singing the song the way it is written, in terms of its lyrics, the lyrics were changed to reflect what is truly going on in your heart, in your minds, and in your lives? What if instead of all to Jesus I surrender, you really told the, I mean, you really sang the truth? Obviously, the song is written all to Jesus because it's trying to encourage us to surrender all. But if we're honest with ourselves, are we? 
do we? We sing this song, in fact, we're going to sing this song as an invitation song. The invitation song, the purpose of an invitation is to give people an opportunity to reset. It's to give people an opportunity to think about their lives, where they are, and an opportunity to surrender all to King Jesus. To surrender all to God, to, to get a fresh start, to reset whether we are Christians or whether you are a non-Christian, it gives you that opportunity to, to do that. So as we sing this song of invitation, look into your heart and see what is there. And ask yourself, as you praise God, has praise shattered despair? Has praise shattered negativity? Has praise shattered being doubtful or being anxious? Because praise changes everything. And when we surrender ourselves to God completely, joy will calm your heart and allow you to receive the promises of God, which are what? Which is the abundant life, which is a life of peace and a life of joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So as we stand here at this moment, let's sing this song, and you respond in your heart the way you feel that you need to Oh, to Jesus.